if you will, to Exodus chapter 17. Maybe you marked that uh, after the scripture reading tonight. But Exodus chapter 17 is that we'll be looking at uh, verses 8 through 12 specifically. Just one announcement that needs to be uh, stressed to you so you can pray for her, Carolyn Teed. She's going to be traveling out of state Thursday the 11th, and she's going by train. So she's going to meet up with her two sisters and her brother so they can memorialize uh, her mother and celebrate her life, uh, birthday and Mother's Day all together. So she'll be back on Tuesday the 16th. So keep her in your prayers that all goes well and that the conductor knows what he's doing when it comes to driving that train, right? <laughs> Here in Exodus chapter 17, as we look at that, we want to think tonight about the importance of support by the people within the very body of Christ and how we ought to be grateful for support of saints as was even expressed in the prayer tonight. But in living the Christian life, sometimes we face difficulties. We face temptations. We face trials, discouragement. And thus, we need a word of encouragement on, a, on occasion because of those things that we face in this life. There are times when we need somebody to just to stand by us and try to motivate us through the ordeal that we are facing. And so here in Exodus chapter 17, we really have an account of Moses having those who stood by him and yes, literally held up his hands. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 12, 12, wherefore lift up the hands which hang now, down and the feeble knees. That is to strengthen the hands of those who hang down, which hang down. And so I don't know of anyone that does not need support. I don't know of anyone in this world that doesn't need some encouragement in life. It is hard to sell through life without some type of difficulty, if you will, facing the stormy seas. And from time to time, we find ourselves in those situations. And so as we think about living the Christian life, I think all of us would agree that we need the support of one another. You know, the beauty of the body of Christ is that we are there for one another. Very important. We want to be there for you. We want you to be there for us when we need you as well. We seek to support, but we also seek to encourage one another. <coughs> I've got a scratchy throat or something going on. So let's begin tonight by looking first of all at the battle that's outlined by Moses here in Exodus chapter 17. And Moses, of course, wrote the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. But as we look at this battle, here's what the record says in verse 8. Notice, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. We first see the conflict that started, and then we're going to talk about the combat soldiers. And then we're going to finally look at the compliant soldier. As we think about the conflict that, that started, Moses writes that Amalek came and fought with Israel 
in Rephidim. Now the Amalekite people were descendants of Esau. Starting in the book of Genesis, we find the descendants of Esau and we notice that they were largely a, a pagan people. And Moses would tell us over in the book of Deuteronomy, about Deuteronomy 25, 17 and 18, that they attacked the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt. And then furthermore, we find that Moses said, they did not fear God. I think one of the things that comes to my mind as we consider their ancestry is the fact, like father, like son, right? When you look at the Amalekite people, it's not surprising that they didn't fear God. I mean, after all, it is said of Esau that he sold his birthright for a pot of stew. <coughs> you know, sometimes people have misplaced values and those values are misplaced because they might put more emphasis on the material, the, the carnal side of life rather than the spiritual. And I think that's the case with Esau in, in so many respects. But nonetheless, as we think about this conflict, I would suggest that there is this ever-present conflict. As a matter of fact, when you go back and you look at Genesis 3 and following, you're going to find that there has been a conflict between Satan and the human family. And this conflict is expressed in many ways. Consider with me the fact that there is a conflict between good and evil, between truth and error, between light and darkness. When you mull it all down, good and evil, truth and error, light and darkness cannot coexist. Paul would say in Romans 12 and verse 21, to be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good, right? So Paul would then go on to say in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 22 that we are to abstain from all appearance of evil. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good, verse 21. And so in 1 John 4 and verse 6, the Bible tells us that John talks about the, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So we can see how there is both of those things, but they don't coexist at the same time. And then with regard to light and darkness, Paul would write to the church at Ephesus and say, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light, Ephesians 5, 8. And in verse 11 of that text, Paul would say, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. When I think about the conflict that ensued between the Amalekites and the, and the Israelite people, I'm reminded of the fact that we as children of God today, that we are at war with Satan. Satan is relentless. Satan is ruthless. Satan is going to do what all he can to bring about your discouragement against God that God's not going to be there for you. There are conflicts that arise because of our Christian belief system, because of our value system, because we choose to do that which is right and honorable and noble and good, that we are followers of truth. 
And when Paul said that we are to reprove those that are in the darkness, no doubt that can bring about any number of problems. But then notice about the combat soldiers. Look at verse 9. And Moses said to Joshua. You know, with Joshua, I think about a man who had the opportunity to step into the role of a leader on behalf of God's people at the death of Moses. He's now the head honcho, if you will. And so Joshua was trained well. Sometimes we refer to Joshua as this general commander or, or so. But notice what was encouraged by Moses. He said, choose, out, choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalekite or Amalek. Notice, first of all, that they need the right soldiers. Listen to what Moses said again. Choose us out men. Not just any man, but rather men who are willing to go to war. When I think about... <coughs> When I think about somebody who was going to war, to go into conflict, I think about a superior officer choosing the right kind of men. Men that are of character, men that are of valor, men of courage and commitment, men of conviction, if you please. Paul, in writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 3, he would say, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier. Of Jesus Christ. He would talk about waging a warfare as we talked about last week, a good warfare. At any time that we think about meeting the enemy, whether it's spiritual or whatever, we need the right kind of soldier, don't we? There needs to be a good soldier. The church today needs faithful soldiers, faithful servants as God's people. We were in the Lord's army. And we march according to his cadence, according to his commands. And we strive to the best of our ability to follow our commander-in-chief, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, after all, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But the second thing you need is the right strategy, right? Moses instructed Joshua to choose out men and go out Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. But notice verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Did you notice how every person had a place in their service? They had a part we talk about choosing the right soldiers and having the right kind of strategy. But the beauty of this conflict is that it's spoken of by Moses is the fact that you see how every person had their part in this conflict. Within the church today, every person has their part. You, as the church here in Central, in Clearwater, have a part in this conflict between us and Satan. You have a part in this church. When I think about the church overall, we understand that Paul said that there are many members, but one body. 
And then he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and following that if one member wasn't able to do their part, is another member going to pick up from there? And so forth. You see, you and I have a place in the kingdom of God. You are a valuable component in the body of Christ. We need your help. We can't do it alone. But you have to prepare yourself, and yet you have to be willing to sign on or enlist in the army of Almighty God. But the idea is that there is a place of service, that there is a place for you to serve in the kingdom of God. All of these men had their place. All of these men were willing to be able to stand up and be a part of this fight. And then there's what I would call the compliant soldier. Notice in verse 10 again. The Bible says, So Joshua did as Moses had said to him. Here is Joshua, General Joshua. And he's listening to his superior. He's taking instruction. He's following the commands. Is it not the case that in the church today that we have to be willing to be submissive and to follow our leaders? That we have to be supportive of them and that we have to obey them? The Hebrew writer would say in Hebrews 13, 17, Obey them that have the rule over you. In other words, be submissive to them. You know, ultimately, our leader is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he leads us by his word. And then we have elders functioning as the leaders of the local church, and we are to follow in their footsteps. But then notice the burden. Look at verse 11. Listen to what is recorded here. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. How long do you think that you could hold up your hands without support? Wouldn't be very long. There have been many of us that might have worked in different areas where we had to work with our hands above our head. And I tell you why, they don't take long that they become very heavy and you just kind of have to just say, hold on a minute until I can get the blood back into my hands, okay? Because it's done rushed out being above my head. Try to see how long you can hold your hands up. And think about Moses at this time here in Exodus 17. You're going to find out there's a reason why they did what they did to help him. What's going to happen here? One of the two things that you either find something to prop up your hands or you're going to drop them. Why? Because they become heavy, it becomes tiresome. And so what we have really here is the fatigue of Moses. You see, everyone has their place. Everyone has, everybody has their part. And so, you see, they have a function. We have Moses, Aaron, Hur, Joshua, the foot soldiers. Everybody has his part, but they still needed one another. 
one was not more important than the other, they still needed one another's support. And I know sometimes, despite the admonition, that we grow weary in what is good, don't we? Do you remember what Paul said in Galatians 6 and verse 9? He said, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And writing to the church of Thessalonica, Paul would make a, a very similar statement over in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 13. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. We are involved in living this Christian life. And as the children of God, as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we strive to make our mark in this world of, of, for good, sometimes we feel defeated. <coughs> Don't ever feel defeated. Don't ever feel defeated. Do you ever feel like somebody got the best of you? That life has got the best of you? Have you ever felt like the devil might have got the best of you in some cases? Well, listen again to what is said beginning in verse 11 here of our text. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. What's happening? What, what's going on here? As long as his hands were held high, the children of God, the children of Israel were winning the conflict. But as long, but as he became weary and his hands began to, to drop, Amalek became those who were winning the conflict. The children of God, the children of Israel were being defeated by Amalek. And so as God's people, sometimes we feel defeated. We feel like the devil has got the best of us. And then I think about how there are times in life when we get discouraged. Do you ever get discouraged at times? Do you ever feel like just giving up, throwing in the towel, saying I've had enough? You know, there are many areas in life when we can make that application. You know, sometimes athletes, they just feel like giving up, that they've gone as far as they can go. I don't, I can't even wonder how they feel. And sometimes that they've given their very best. They just feel like giving up, walking away from it all. There are just some people in the realm of academics. They have pushed it as far as they can go. And they just, they were at this point where it's like, what's the use? And then they give up. They walk away. They said, I've had enough. I'm quitting. Then there are people within the body of Christ, members of the church that, that seem to get discouraged and they give up. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer talked about how we ought to look back to those Old Testament saints, those men and women who lived by faith, who looked for a city which has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. And then in verse 2, he encourages every person that they need to be keeping their eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured that cross, despising the shame, 
and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In verse 3, he makes an interesting statement here. He talks about how it's possible for us to become weary, to become faint and discouraged in our minds. Have you ever become discouraged? Have you ever been discouraged? Oh, I felt discouraged in a lot of different things uh, that have come my way. But why is that? Because I'm a human being. You're a human being. Yeah? We're going to be discouraged. And if you haven't been discouraged, just hold on. It's coming. But I don't know of anybody here that's never been discouraged. So we need that word of encouragement, don't we? We become discouraged when members of the body of Christ engage in petty arguments and can't settle the differences. It's discouraging when people that have obeyed the gospel of Christ and ought to love one another demonstrate contempt and ill will and malice toward one another. It's discouraging when people who are members of the body of Christ who ought to know better find themselves back into the world, living like the world. They have gone back into a state of corruption. It's discouraging. It's discouraging when when people who are striving their best and somebody tells them that they're not doing their best. We might become overly critical not knowing what these people are dealing with in their life. Get to know them first. It's discouraging when people don't come back on Sunday night and Wednesday night. And I know I'm talking to the wrong group because you're here. But just tell me that, that it's discouraging, isn't it? When I can look out on the Sunday night or Wednesday night and I can see the ones that didn't show up. And it's just as discouraging for me to see the ones on Sunday morning that should be here, that are not here. And so then we try to find out why. And then we realize what happened. And there's a reason. But then for others, there's no excuse. And they will tell me, I have no excuse. Have you ever heard of the 80-20 rule? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Are you among the 20% or the 80% percentile? Think about it. And then I think about how sometimes we feel a, a measure of disgust. In the days of Jeremiah, Jeremiah asked a question, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? His response was, no. They were not at all ashamed, neither could they even blush. Jeremiah 8, 12. You know, sometimes people choose to live a lifestyle that's revolting, that's disgusting. And there are times when people in the church go back to the world and they start living like the world. They drink alcohol, they smoke weed, they gamble, they live with one another. They do things that are out out of harmony with the will of God. And so, yes, we can become fatigued like Moses. But then notice the good fortune of Moses in verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. But Moses' hands were heavy and they 
took a stone and put it under him and he sat thereon and Moses and Ur stayed up his hands the one on the one side the other on the other side and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun aren't you grateful for people that are willing to stand by you and support you when you feel weary and tired and fatigued I do thank you Moses, he had his part in this conflict, but what he needed was support. And uh, we can thank God for Aaron and her. H-U-R. Very little was said in scripture about her, but here we have this man of God standing on one side of Moses and holding up his hand. I don't care what your job is in the body of Christ, I don't care how minute you may think that job is. Let me tell you, it's important. That little thing, it's important. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Whatever you do for the sake of the kingdom of God, it's important. There are no big guys and little guys in the kingdom, everybody's needed. And we had the opportunity to support one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another. In fact, we don't need somebody telling us what we need to be doing just because they think we're not doing it as much as they are doing. You don't know what they're doing. They might be actually be doing more than you. You just don't see it. See, that's the elder's job. Leave it to the elders because they know where and why people are where they are in their Christian life. Think about what Paul said in Galatians 6 and verse 2 and following. He said, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Notice the words of of the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 12 and verse 12 and following. When he said, wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. These are things that when only a card, there are times when only a card of encouragement, a phone call, just a few words, a few words will make all the difference in the world. There are times when somebody will stop by just to say, you know what? I just wanted you to know I'm praying for you. Is there anything I can do? Just keep praying. That makes all the difference in the world. There are ways that we can be supportive of one another. Solomon talks about that in Proverbs 18, 24, when he said, there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. It's not, is it not the case that we are, well, we are really brothers and sisters in Christ, right? That we're to be supportive of one another 
If you live long enough, you're going to have your day. You'll face your burdens. You'll be blessed when people stand by you. Do you feel like the burdens of life seem overwhelming? We're here to support you. There's a third thing I want you to see, and that is the blessing. Notice verse 13 of our text. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. There's the mastery of Israel, isn't it? What did Joshua do? As a general, he led them victory. He led them to victory, didn't he? Here were God's people and they were triumphant. What a great blessing. But then I want you to see the memorial to Israel, verse 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book. He's talking about the scriptures. In other words, this account is being preserved. Why? To encourage, to inspire, to motivate, to comfort us. What was it that Paul said in Romans 15, 4? He said, for whatsoever things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures, listen to them, might have hope. When you read this account and you think about Moses and how weary and tired that he became, and then you have Aaron on one side and Ur on the other side, and they're holding up his hands. And because of this, ultimately, Israel is victorious. That's inspiring to know. Here's what God wants. God wants you to cross that finish line as a victor. God is, in a, God is interested in you winning the Christian race. God wants to bestow on you that crown of life, that victor's crown, the Stephanos. When people are successful in the realm of athletics, they are successful because they are willing to endure the pain, the trials, the tears, the aches. They're willing to stay in the race and stay in the competition, come what may. They're not willing to, to give up. The same is true for us today as, as Christians as we are in this thing for the long haul. You got to look at things from the vantage point of eternity and you've got to say, look, I don't care what comes my way. I may get beaten down. I may be getting beaten, beaten up. But I do know one thing for sure. I want to go to heaven. And I'm going to strive to the best of my ability to get there. Can you say that? I hope that you can. As Jesus said, be faithful unto death, the promise being the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. Here's what James said. James 1 and verse 12, he said, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now go back to Exodus 17. Let's notice verses 14 through 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, and he called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, which means Jehovah is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. 
Now, you remember over in 1 Samuel 15, where God had given some very specific instructions to King Saul? And Samuel came on the scene, and God said in verse 3, He says, Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly, here it is, utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not. The very people we are talking about right now. But the problem, however, is that King Saul did not listen to what God had said to do. He spared Agag, the king, and the choices of the spoils of the people. And as a result of that, all he did was create more problems. It cost him his kingship. And nonetheless, think about the Amalekite people. They lifted up their hand against Almighty God. There's a lesson for us here. Whether individually or nationally, if we lift up our hand against God, we need to understand that there's a payday someday. God will one day, He will, as we say, balance the scales of justice. There is a payday coming someday. The Amalekites, their day was coming. Their time was coming. Here's a question. Are you willing to step up to the plate and be supportive of those who are doing the work? Be supportive of those around you? This is a team we are a team. We're all in this thing together. And the only way that we can get to heaven together is by pulling for one another. I've always said that as husband and wives, that we're doing everything we can to help each other get to heaven. That's what it's about. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Quit tearing people down. Do what Aaron and her did by being supportive. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. I hope that we can encourage you to become one tonight by obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came into the world to seek and to save those who are lost, Luke 19.10. Because he knew that people need support. And without the cross of Christ... There is no support. There's no hope. <clears throat> but Jesus came to save your soul. To give you hope. Do you believe in that? Do you believe that he is the son of the living God? That he came to this earth to, for you personally? To give you hope? If you believe that, are you willing to make a change in your life that reflects that, called repentance? Are you willing to make a good confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then go down into the waters of baptism? Everything's ready. Everything's ready. But it's up to you to make that step. Why are you waiting? Don't wait. Don't put it off. Maybe you're here already a child of God and you haven't been living faithfully. 
Maybe you haven't been as supportive as you should. Maybe you think you're being supportive and in another way you're not. Maybe you've gone back into the world of sin. We hope that you'll make that change in your life. Repent of that sin. Pray that God will forgive you. We're here for you. We want to be supportive of you. Give us the opportunity to pray with you and for you as well. The time is now. Number 270. Why do you wait, dear brother? Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Tomorrow may be too late. Won't you come? As together we stand.